0: There are so many distractions in the world today that want to cause a blur from what we see and what we experience when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to our faith, and it can really easily be overwhelmed. Let me, as a preempt into the message today, let me say um, that... You know, we we always have prayed, always wanted, and always tried to create an atmosphere in new life where people would feel safe coming just as they are. Where people would come in and they would feel, you know, accepted just where they are and and that we loved them and that they didn't have to change to be accepted. I I hope and pray that that's the attitude and the feeling that that you have received as you come into the church because that's our heart. Because the truth is, is that... I want you to come in just as you are and I want you to come into this place and I want you to feel safe yes, amen. Yes. to hear a message that may not feel so good.
1: Yes.
0: Yes, help us, Lord. Yeah. We have, I mean, if the word of God's not changing and transforming us, are we really, you know, doing and being what God's wanting us to be? Yes. Amen. So I want to share a message with you today and, and into the rest of this month. I, I did a message I spoke a message to you back a month or so ago. And to be quite honest, I never had as much feedback as I got on that one single message. Never got as many, you know, I mean, comments and people and, and, you know, reaching out. um, And so I really felt through that. I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you know, press further into this. And it was the message that I did on having a biblical worldview. And there's so much more to all of that than just what I shared with you that day. And as I've been reading and studying, and I, and I did a sermon series on this back years ago. But I really felt that this was a time when we need to press into this. Yes, amen. Now, again, when we start talking about a, a worldview or a biblical worldview and other worldviews, you know what, it's going to definitely step on some toes, but please know that you know what—it's not something—it's not something that I certainly intentionally do, and you know it's not something that I find great thrill out of. I hate being anxious about a message that God lays on my heart to bring you. So again, I hope and pray that you feel comfortable enough today to where somebody's you know may step on your toes a little bit, trying to get back and forth through what's going, on, that you won't be offended. Because when we're talking about this whole thing, you know, with worldviews and all that, we have to look at this. this. What happens when worldviews collide? Yeah. Because they're going to. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are or what it is you think or believe or what your ideals are. That there are people out there that have different worldviews than you do. And when those worldviews come together, it will create a collision. Now, again, I'll be more specific about all of that here in a little bit, but our worldview, it deeply, deeply affects us. It affects the way we view people. It affects the way we view pe- the, the people around us. It affects the way we view our family. It affects the way we view um, the culture that we live in. It affects the way we see the news. It affects the way we view ourselves. It affects the way we treat each other. In church, it affects our morals. It affects our convictions and it affects how we live those morals and convictions out in the world in which we are placed. So in this place too, it has a deep effect. Your worldview will have a deep effect on your idea of who God is and and what God is. It'll affect all of those things. Now, I talked about in the sermon I did back a while back, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but there was a few things that we talked about, like how do I know what my worldview is? And there's some questions you can ask yourself. And we went through those questions, questions like this. Where did I come from? Where, where did I come from and, and what am I doing here? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Questions like this. What is truth? Is truth to you, is it relative? Or is truth absolute? What about this? What happens when you die? Do you really believe that there's an afterlife? Or do you believe that it's into the ground, back to dust to dust, and that's it? Who determines what's right and what's wrong? Have you ever thought about that? Is there something outside of you that determines what's right and wrong? Or are you the end all be all? And what about this question? The most important question. Who or what is God? Now, again, this is just a, you know, a, a boiled down version, but... These questions and and other questions involved in that will determine the essence of who we are, the essence of how we respond, the essence of what we do, the essence of how we look at the world, how we look at people, and how we view God. Now, looking at some different worldviews, there's a lot of different worldviews, please. I am not going to give you an exhaustive study here in all the different worldviews that are out there. I can't do that. I'm going to give you a synopsis of some of them so that you can see what some of these different worldviews are. Because when you begin to look at the different worldviews that are out there and you start to really break it down, you can see in each and every one of these worldviews who their God is. So in looking at this, for examples, just some of them, humanism. In humanism, when you really, you know, you study it, but break it down, man equals God. Marxism, the government is God. In naturalism, it's the cosmos and and everything created is God. In postmodernism or nihilism, very close to atheism, whatever. And I say it like that because that's kind of the way it's described. Whatever is God. You can make whatever you want to be God and you don't have to make anything God. Anything can be God or nothing's God. You know what? Make nothing God. There is no God. It's all what nihilism goes through. And then there's the New Age or pantheism, which is everything is God. Now, there's also then those who have a biblical worldview. view. And I say it that way on purpose, and I'll explain again here in a moment. But these are people who believe in a creator God. People with a biblical worldview, they believe that there is, a, there is a, a creator God, and he is the one in whom we will answer to. He is the one who sets the moral standards and tells us what is right and what is wrong. And he is the one who will judge the world according to how we how we are in this world and what happens. And we will find ourselves, therefore, in conflict with these other worldviews. We will find a colliding together of these views and, and we will have to deal with it. Because those with a conflicting worldview, think about it, if, you're, if you have a biblical worldview and, and God Almighty, Jesus Christ, is the center of that view, the Word of God, the center of that view, listen, people with a, a, a worldview other than that don't want to hear what you have to say about the truth. They don't want to hear it. Isn't it amazing that people with an opposing worldview can be tolerant of everything else except for the Christian? Except for those who have a true biblical worldview. Those who profess that there is an absolute truth in the universe and we know him. His name is Jesus. That will get the hair up on the back of a lot of people's necks. But isn't it crazy that, I mean, no wonder that we have such a mess in the world that we live in today, where we, as a world, are so opposed to the one who's created it all. And, and it is these other worldviews that will certainly oppose the truth. But please understand that when they oppose the truth, they are opposing Jesus because it is all about Jesus. It's all about him. So there's some scripture I want to walk through and take a look at, some scripture that will tell us about these other opposing worldviews and help us to look at those in, you know, different worldviews comparatively to those that are in a biblical worldview. And I hope that over this next month that we can point out some things that might be confusing to a lot of people and how can I conform my worldview to the Bible? Amen? Amen. I am not asking you to conform yourself to my worldview. I am asking you to conform yourself to a biblical worldview. I am in the process of trying, attempting, desiring to do that on a daily basis. God, don't give me what I want. Give me what is true. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, let me read, I'll read here in a moment what Paul says to young Timothy and to the church. But before we do that, will you, will you bow your heads in prayer with me? And will you open your heart to hear what God <laughs> wants to say through his word? Uh, you know what? Are, are you willing to be confronted with some things? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are here. And Holy Spirit, you're moving about ministering even now to the hearts and lives of men and women in this place. That God, you have a design and desire to see what you have for us accomplished in this place today. And so we open up our hearts and minds, Lord, and say, yes, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Let the words of Pastor Mark fall to the ground. But God, I pray that every word from you would pierce my heart would wash my mind that you would help me today, Lord, to conform my life to you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together? Amen. Mm. Okay, this is what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. But understand this. Okay, know that when, you know, understand this, there's something here that somebody wants you to understand. Whenever that word is spoken that way, there's something, again, that's a deep Pastor Markism. He wants you to understand something. What? That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Look, if you don't think that there's going to come difficult times, you're deceiving yourself, and you're going to really, really be surprised. Probably shocked away from the gospel, to be honest. So in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Why? Because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. You know, before I keep reading, let me also say this, that the word of God right now is not speaking to your neighbor. He's speaking to you. And he wants you to look at these things. Don't just just brush these things off as something that God intended for the person next to you. He wants you to search your heart just as I've been searching my heart as I've been going through these and studying these and looking at them. God, is there some things in here that I need to conform myself? And the places that I have found, yes, there is. I need to repent and I need to change. I need to be transformed. God, I don't want to be the same guy that went into the Word. Change me and transform me as I come out of it. So this isn't about somebody else. This is about you, me, individual. Verse three, because he goes on. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, that's what he said. I did not say that. He said it. Look, I don't like everything in the word of God but I submit to everything in the word of God because he's God and I'm not. And nowhere in the scriptures have i ever found a single place where he asked my opinion. Let me tell you a story. Many of you know, and and this was a heart-shaking, heart-wrenching thing. I was a youth pastor at the time, so this really kind of conflicted. It it really, I, I mean, I couldn't figure out what was happening, but on Tuesday, April 20th in 1999, many of you remember that day, That was the day when Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold walked into Columbine High School wearing trench coats, carrying duffel bags filled with sawed-off shotguns and rifles and pistols and pipe bombs. And they walked into that school and what they did for 55 minutes in that school was horrible. And you've heard the stories, you know what happened. You also, probably most of you are aware that the first victim in this this school shooting was Rachel Scott. Rachel Scott was a genuine Christian. She was a young lady that was not ashamed of her faith. She was not ashamed to declare and to stand and affirm that she was a a follower of Jesus Christ. And these two young men walked into that school and they walked right up to where Rachel was. And they walked right up to her and she was sitting eating lunch with one of her friends. And one of the young men asked her, do you believe in God? And she smiled and looked up at him and said, well, yes, I do. And he pulled out a, a rifle and shot her. Church, that was the worst school tragedy in, in, up to, at that point in the history of, the, of, of our country. It was something, it was the deadliest. There was 15 young people, including the shooters, 15 young people died that day. And over 20 were wounded and hurt. And since that point, since then, there's been three school shootings that were even more tragic than that. Now, those are all things that we are all aware of. But how do you get to that place? I mean... It's not publicly recognized because we don't want to look into too many of the depths of the facts, but there was a specific bundle of beliefs and ideas and and, and assumptions that these two young men had. How else could they make something, a murder? how else could a murder spree like that happen? How else could something even be doable or thinkable? I I know that we look at that and we think, well, man, they they were just sick individuals, yes. They were just mentally out, maybe so. But could that be enough to cause two young men at the end of that 55 minutes, these two young men walked back into the library, both got down on their knees at the same time and it was heard, they were heard saying, one, two, three, bam, and both shot themselves at the same time. That's more than just simply mental illness. Church, that is a specific bundle of beliefs and ideas and, and assumptions and presumptions. And that bundle that Harris and Claybold had was a shared worldview. It was how they viewed the world. They, they viewed the world through a very distorted lens, but they, that's how they viewed through this worldview they had. They, that's how they viewed themselves. That's how they viewed people. That's how they were, viewed the, the people around them. The world in which they lived. So as you stop, and again, this may shake you up a little bit, but as you stop and look at, you know, how do two 16-year-olds become so inundated with the, the, the world around them, that they would have inside of them a worldview, a view about life, a view about the universe, a view about people? How could they, in the short 16 years of their life, come to such a place where they would have a worldview like that? Where they would see things like that? And I started to think, and again, I hope this doesn't come across, I told Pastor Trevor, I hope that doesn't come across in a morbid way. But I think that this is important in the day and age in which we live. How do you create the kind of worldview in someone who could do such a thing? I'm going to share a little bit about what these young men went through or what they were indoctrinated with that created this worldview. So if you want to create someone with a worldview who could do something like that, the first thing you have to do is relentlessly teach them that everything in the physical universe, including himself, is a product of nothing but random chance. That he's just, I mean, everything in this world, all the beauty that we see, all the people around us, all the life that is here, everything, it's just purely accidental. Accidental. We are simply here because of a bang where two whatevers came together and that's what we come from. When that also then means that that would be no designer to the universe in which we live and there is no designer to hold them accountable for the actions in this life. You teach them that. Second, You make him understand, you make him understand that because all life, including your life and mine, all human life, it's nothing but accidental, therefore there is no ultimate authority that sets the standards for what is considered right and what is considered wrong. There is no, who's to say what's right and what's wrong? In fact, you reinforce over and over and over again that there really is no such thing as an absolute right or an absolute wrong. Those are, those are old, repressive concepts. Come on. Sin, morality. Don't you know that science has already proven that those are nothing more than just artificial programs that are meant to keep us in line? Therefore, if that's what you're going to do, Train them into, you got to do this. you got to keep them out of a Bible-preaching church. you got to keep them out of church. Because at church, they might experience the Holy Spirit. They might experience God in a way that changes their worldview. Next thing you do is you declare to them that truth is whatever you want truth to be. That what's true is what you want to be true. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says because their truth is different than your truth. It doesn't mean a thing. Truth is what you want truth to be. Church, then you teach him and you train him to, emphasize, to be emphasized to him that human beings are just another species of animal. Oh, we're evolved above many other animals, but we're still just animals. We're just, that's it. And you teach him that human life is not intrinsically more valuable than the tree frog in the Amazon. Or a silverfish in California. You encourage him to have deep, deep concerns for the way chickens are housed on egg farms. But to condemn those who have a problem with partial birth abortion. You encourage him to applaud the government for fining somebody $25,000 for breaking an eagle's egg, but then demand that that same government pay for my abortion. You teach him these things. Even better yet, you characterize human beings as a, a rampant disease a blight upon the earth. We are nothing more than an environmental catastrophe. We are a habitat disaster, and everywhere we go, we bring destruction. And then, church, let him just soak for hours in death metal music. Let him soak in the chaos, the anarchy, the angry songs that just glorify mayhem and ugliness, violence, and death. And then you really want to finish it off. You cultivate in him an obsession with first-person shooter computer games. Oh, the more graphic, the better. You want to make sure that by the time he reaches the age of 16... He has, even if it's just, you know, virtually, he's already killed thousands of people. He, I mean, it's, and the more graphic, the better. It's just realistic. He's already seen realistic blood splatter. He already knows what brain matter looks like on the wall. He already knows what it looks like to dismember somebody. He already knows the gore of it all. Hey, you know what? You may, thought, I didn't come to church to hear this. Listen, your, your kids are enjoying this in their bedrooms. Do you know that science, neuro, neuroscience have proven that the human brain treats vivid, vividly imagined events and real events almost identically? Let me say it again. Neuroscience have proven that the human brain treats vividly imagined events and real ones almost identically. And you know that's true. You know, Think about fear, how we respond. Listen, if a fear is real or not, do you respond in any different way? No, your body still goes into the same kind of response, even if it's a fear that you know is irrational. The point is, is that you want to make sure that when this young man comes to a place where he's going to pull up and aim a real shotgun at a real schoolmate that he's going to have no remorse and no conscience towards it because he's already been there thousands of times look if you're going to create a young man that could raise a gun and shoot a girl like Rachel Scott you have to eliminate God from his life you have to eliminate faith. You have to eliminate eternal life. You have to eliminate any kind of lingering sense that he may have that life has sacred value. Amen. Amen. Church, in other words, to boil, it, boil down, to simplify all that stuff that I just said, you have to create in him a very specific worldview. And that is exactly what happened with Claybold and Harris. Does that mean, please, I'm not saying that everybody who has entered into some of these areas is gonna go out and shoot some school up. Please, that's not what I'm saying. I think you know that. I'm saying that there's a very destructive pattern of developing worldviews that is happening all around us and sometimes we don't even know it. These two young men had a worldview that, honestly, it falls right in line with nihilism or, or atheism. You can call it one or the other. But let's face it, today, it is absolutely growing in popularity. It's becoming more and more popular among even so-called Christians who are indulging in some of these ideas and some of these thoughts, and it's proven. You can prove, look, it's proven by some of the things that we do as Christians and by some of the things that we allow to feed us, our our mind some of the things we watch, some of the things that we put into our hearts. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3.1, but understand this. One version says, mark this, know this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. The Greek word is gnosk, and gnosk means to know or to understand, but it means to know or understand in an experiential way. It's the same word that Jesus used when he called us to know him. You know that Jesus doesn't want us just to have knowledge of him. He wants us to have life with him. He wants us to know him by the experience of a personal relationship. And this is what he's talking about here. Paul's saying he wants us to be personally aware of what's going on around us, what's happening in the culture. We have got to get our head out of the sand and begin to realize what's going on in the world in which we live today. We are here as the light and the darkness is overwhelming us. And we need to know, Paul says, we need to know by experience what's going on, what is happening in this current social culture and climate in which I'm living. We need to know what's happening. Because church, we may very well think that we are living in a progressive world. We are not living in a progressive world. We are living in a digressive world. We are coming very quickly to the end, to the last days. And and as the world comes into more and more evil, that's when those last days come. And we are in these times, what Paul was describing, where things are really difficult. These times are difficult times. Isn't it again? Isn't it crazy that I would feel such apprehension in myself, bringing a message like this to the church? Yeah, on. Yeah. I I was reading through these verses in Timothy, in both First and Second Timothy, and I thought, man, it's almost like Paul is standing right next to me. And we're just looking at the culture, looking at the world, looking at the church, and he's writing these things. And I know that there's been ages gone by that have thought the same thing. But man, oh man, is he talking to us today or not? Yes, he is. Amen. Listen to what else he wrote, even before that, in First Timothy chapter four, in verse one, he said this. Now, the Spirit is expressly uh, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times. Again, we are, that some will depart from the faith. Okay, here is another verse I don't like. Because it's saying that people were in faith and they departed from it. <laughs> Thank you for helping me. In latter times, some will depart from the faith by what? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Those are doctrines of demons. Church, please, remember who Paul is writing this letter to. He's writing this to the church. He's writing this to those who had called themselves Christians. Christians. And he says that they are departing from the faith. Now, you know, again, I, I don't know exactly what all of that means. I know that, you know, we're, we're bumping up against that once saved, always saved theology. You know, we're, we're, I don't, listen, I don't claim to have all the answers in that. I just know here that Paul's saying that there in these latter days are going to be people who are in faith that are departing from the faith. Now, what that means, you can go ahead. I'm not going into the, the teaching in that. I just want you to realize he's talking to the church here. And listen, the people that are departing from the faith are entertaining, even embracing godless worldviews. They're taking, that's why I did not use the term Christian worldview. Because a Christian worldview now doesn't always mean the same thing that a biblical worldview does. In Christianity, we have adopted all sorts of different godless worldviews, and we've made our own kind of concoction of worldviews and put Christianity on it as a label when it has really nothing to do with Christianity. It's a a deformed version of what God wants Christians to be. So there's those who who depart from the faith. There are people today, you know, uh, and again, I I, I think about this term, I understand, but I don't understand. There's people who claim themselves to be progressive Christians. What is that? Does that mean you've progressed beyond Christians? (laughs) That you have, New insight that nobody else had. Well, what, what exactly is a progressive Christian? What is a progressive Christian in a digressive world? Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, look, you know what a progressive Christian is? Somebody who has endorsed worldly doctrines
1: yes,
0: doctrines of abortion, same sex marriage, transgenderism. And they hold within their Christian worldview, they hold a humanist worldview as well. Why do we do that? Because we don't like the biblical narrative. doesn't fit what I want. But their worldviews, church, they are worldviews that are being accepted into the Christian faith, and they're worldviews that clearly go against the very plain teachings of Scripture, the reading of Scripture, the meaning of Scripture, and a very clear understanding of what God says. Amen. And when we get to that place, honestly, this will be the progression. What happens in in, in we get into this place is we slowly begin to lower our opinion of Scripture. We start to, mm, is it really inerrant? Is it really invaluable? Is, is it really perfect? Mm, come on. Is it really whatever? We start to begin to downplay our opinion of Scripture. And the moment we start to downplay our, our, our opinion of Scripture, we will begin to downplay the deity of Jesus. Yes. Jesus will start to become the Son of God. I mean, that's what he called himself. We say that out of a lack of understanding of what that statement really does mean. Is he, you know, he was a good guy. I mean, he was a prophet. I mean, he spoke you know, a lot of really cool things, but, you know, come on and it comes into this place and this will step on some toes and we come to a place where we begin to believe oh come on i mean there's other ways to god besides jesus come on all these other religions they they you know what they have the same kind of faith they have the same kind of stand you know what i know jesus said i'm the only way but come on You look, we can question the deity of Jesus and we question you know, whether or not all these other religions they'll take you to heaven when Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except by me either he's the way or he's no way Either he is it or he's not it. You have to come to the place where we decide. But church, listen, people that accept accept some of these things into their Christianity, they're receiving and beginning to act on doctrines of demons. That's what Paul calls it here. Doctrines of demons. Deceitful spirits that are intended to lead people straight to hell. But as a church... We're supposed to be the standard. We're supposed to be those who are looking to Jesus. We're supposed to be those who are, who are treasures of the word of God. Those who are who will protect and stand for what the word of God has to say. We're the guardians of truth. That's what God wants us to be. So if you're going to stand as a guardian of the truth, if you're going to stand on the word of God, if you're going to stand on the Bible, let me just tell you right now that people with other worldviews are going to come crashing up against you. They are not going to like it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verses 3 and 4, Paul said this. He said, for the time is coming. He's talking about a time to come when he wrote this, and I'm saying that I believe this time is here. There is a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Uh, Again, I certainly hope this is sound teaching today. Whether you receive it or not is that, that's up to you. But for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So who are those teachers? Who are those teachers that were assimilating to answer the itching ear we have? Because they're out there today. And you may want to blame the pulpit. You, you may want to blame me. You may not, you know, I'm just one person. People are accumulating for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And today, those teachers are YouTube. And TikTok. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Instagram. Snapchat. What are we doing? We're accumulating all these people that say the things we want them to say. We're accumulating all these people that will teach what we want to be taught. We will assimilate all these people that are saying things that we agree with. And we are accumulating them. And listen, and he goes on and he says, teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, again, it's the word of God. And Satan has been at this for a long time. He is really good at it. You know, even back to, think about what he did back in the very beginning when when in chapter three, he comes to Eve and he seduces her with a statement that is so seductive that we're still falling for it. And the statement is, you know, You will be like God. You know that you'll be like God. He doesn't want you to know this. He doesn't want you to know that because he knows you will be like God. That is a seductive statement that we still fall for. You will be like God. And there are people still today falling for that. We do. We have to fight that. People set themselves up as God. God. Well, how do I set myself up as God? Well, you set yourself up as God by thinking you know more than God. Mm, Let me improve your word, God. Let me make your word say things that are a little more acceptable, God. Let me conform this word, God, to the culture that we live in so that people will receive it. They need to know you, God. No, they, they come to know an image that we've created of what we want them to see as God, not the one true God. God is, listen, God is not who we portray him to be. God is who he portrays him to be. So we set ourselves up as God. And when we do that, these are the results. And so let, let let me read through this list again. This is what happens. When you put yourself, knowingly or unknowingly, in the position of God, and let me also just say this, that whenever you put yourself in the position of God, it will always be a small g God. So just so we know, we'll we'll never be successful at it because this is what we as people turn into when we put ourselves in the place of God, when we become the idol in which we worship. This is what happens. In first 2 Timothy 3, he says, For people will be lovers of self. Does that describe any? Don't, don't raise your hands. Does that describe anybody? Lovers of money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. Have you slandered anybody lately? Without self control. How many are feeling that one during this month of fasting? <laughs> Brutal, not loving good. You ever wished bad on somebody? I mean, we look at all these things. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Church, I fight this on a daily basis. Yes, amen. I go through these things and I'm daily repenting, walking in the light. God, conform that out of me. Get that out of me. Because daily I'm struggling in some of these areas. Because my flesh wants to be God my spirit knows there is only one God and I need to submit my flesh to him because this is what happens when my flesh takes over. Some of you have probably experienced it from me. Very similar list here in 2 Timothy, very similar to the list in Romans chapter one. I'm not gonna go into the whole thing, verses 21 through 32. There's one statement out of that scripture, out of that set of scriptures. And again, they're, they're similar, very similar to what we just read. But one thing I wanna read to you out of verse 28, it says this. And again, another scripture I don't like, but I believe. So God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. Man, God gave them over. Let me just say that—that's a horrible thought.
1: Yes, it is. Help us, Lord.
0: I—I I, I don't like that. But he says, God gave them over. And the truth is, that's what we see all around the world. It's what we see in our Christian nation. It's what we see going on. Look, I I don't need to go through each and one of these traits. I could go through and break them down. I've gone through them, and I suggest you do that. Go through, break them down, look at each one of those traits. I could go through, I did go through, and looked at them in the Greek, looked at what they meant, looked at all these different versions about reading through this. You know, let me just tell you, what's written down is exactly what he meant. And I don't need to go through it because it's self-explanatory what he's saying in all this. What God meant is exactly what he said here. It's an accurate description of the word and it is an accurate description of the culture, the world, and sadly, many in the church. And look, I I thought this through and I was thinking about all this and I thought, you know what, it's so easy in this to just blame God. You know, the, the, young, the teenagers. Let, let's blame the younger generation. Let's, let's blame the Gen Zs. Let's, let's blame the alpha generation. But how did they get the world views they have? It's because those same views have inundated the lives of us baby boomers as well we we have just as sometimes perverted a view of the world as they do they've just jumped on the bandwagon and run with it we're better at covering it up but church the truth is is that it describes all of us and many people in the church today who have these same characteristics people will come in and play church sing songs I know how to speak Christianese. I I know when to lift my hand. Look, you know, I've said this before. You can teach a monkey to do that. People with, with, with wonderful, you know, We look at them and we admire some of the things that they do. But they are completely empty of the spiritual power that is required to follow after God as God has called us to follow after them. And the Bible says very clearly here, another statement I don't like. The Bible says, avoid such people. Look, these, why do we, why does he want us to, he doesn't want us to hate people. Please, don't, don't hate people. We don't, you know, stay away from people necessarily to be mean-spirited, but we have to be careful that we're not letting people that are living a lie cause that lie to become part of what we live. Because people with some of these opposing worldviews, they are stealthily trying to inundate you and win you over with their persuasive arguments to what they believe and again he says avoid such people why because he doesn't want us corrupted by their philosophies he doesn't want us to be corrupted by that way of thinking you know what and what's so hard is that sometimes they come across man they are so knowledgeable Man, they seem to know it and they're so smart. But Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3, 7. He says there are people that are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. But today, we live in a world, I, I just think about this. We live in a world where a, a lie used to be hard to get people to believe. But today, a lie is... is Honestly, what we can consider may somebody's truth. It may not always be a lie. Somebody's lie, you know what? It may be something that we need to embrace. Somebody can say a lie and they can say it loudly. They can say it boldly. They can say it confidently. They can say it knowledgeably. They can say it with charisma. And they say that lie long enough, loud enough, and they say it with enough charisma that all of a sudden we find ourselves looking at this lie and going, well, maybe that's true. While we're standing in the face of what is actual truth. And we begin to believe it. You know what Romans one twenty five tells us? It says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Oh. This is the fact. This is the truth about many that are caught up. Many of those that would be ascribed in 2 Timothy chapter three. The truth is this: they just really like the lie they're living. Yes, true. Makes it more comfortable. I, I like the lie I'm living, and it makes it more comfortable when I have to deal with my children. When I have to deal with my children's choices. When I have to live with my co-workers. Spouse. It makes it way more comfortable. I like the lie I'm living. In fact, I love the lie I'm living. I find peace with the lie that I'm living. So therefore, it must be God. I love the lie I'm living because there's no conflict. But the people who love the lie they're living will oppose the truth at every turn. And, church, they will oppose those who stand for the truth. Listen to what it, he goes on. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I I don't know. I was asked the question, you know, well, what if I'm not feeling that persecution? Well, just because you may not be feeling a certain level of persecution doesn't mean that persecution is not coming. And let me just say this as well, that there is a big difference between persecution and prosecution. When we're prosecuted, it's for doing what's wrong. When we're persecuted, it comes at at the hand of doing what's right, what's biblical, what's true. And if you're not in the midst of persecution, God's bringing you this message today so that you prepare yourself because there will be persecution to come. He will. Don't get into condemnation over it. Just realize there will be persecution and it's coming and we need to prepare ourselves by creating in us a biblical worldview. He goes on and he says that those, again, will be persecuted while evil people and imposters or thespians, those who put on a mask and act one way, yet they live their lives a different way, will go from bad to worse. Church, it's gonna get worse deceiving and being deceived look there is a time and and again many of us were in this time right now where worldviews will collide there will be a collision that comes and the people that have opposing worldviews to the biblical worldview are going to stand against you they will not like you but you need to see it's not a personal thing about you. In the end, it's all about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. It's all about Him. Jesus is at the center of it all. Amen. Think about it. There, you know what? People are either for Jesus or against Jesus. There isn't a middle ground. Either He is God or He's... I mean, either He's totally God or He's not God at all. He, he, there's no middle ground in all of this. He's either God or he's not God. And people are either for Jesus or they're against him. And it's amazing that the people who are against him have no tolerance. The people who cry out for tolerance have no tolerance for the Christian. There's no tolerance for anything that's godly, anything that's centered around Christ, anything that we claim as truth in Jesus. I get emails from all of our missionary friends and I have uh, missionary friends that we've known for over 30 years that live in India And, and they've always told us how in India Hinduism is the religion, the big religion there and Hinduism has always been a peaceful religion. They've never, as Christians, they never had big conflict. They never had big, you know, play. there certainly was a a back and forth with them, but it wasn't a violent kind of back and forth because they were a peaceful religion. Well, we're getting all these notices now of how the Hindus are rising up in violence against the Christians because the Christians are are, are proclaiming truth, and the truth is coming against some of their their age-old doctrines and beliefs. It's confronting their world view. And so now they're standing against Christians. It's amazing that one of the fastest growing religions in India is Islam. It's funny that those in Hinduism are standing violently against the Christian, but they're not coming violently against the Muslim. And, and it's the same in our country today. Think about it. we got every group in the world. I mean, you've got women's groups, you've got gay and lesbian groups, you've got every group that's out there that stands against the Christians because we stand on the Bible who says that their way of living is not right. And they stand against that and will rail against the Christian. Yet say nothing about Islam or the Muslims. Look, Christianity, as one example, Christianity stands for women, stands for the rights of women, stands for the respect that women deserve. He stands for the position in which God created and the desire that God has for women to prosper and to live a life that they could never live apart from Christ. Christianity supports women. Where Muslims, Muslims believe that women should not be able to vote. You shouldn't even be able to drive. In fact, if they don't like the way you look, they can mutilate your, your sexual organs so that you can't have kids. Which one's oppressive? Right. But isn't it amazing how the stand is against Christianity yes. rather than Islam? Well, what do we do? Man, that sounds like dire straits here, Pastor Mark. What do what we, as those who, who possess the truth, as, as those who have the truth of God, the very truth which is Christ, what do we do? Well, This is what Paul told Timothy. In verses 14 and 15, he said this. But as for you, who? Those who want to live according to the biblical worldview. As for those who want to stand firm. He says, continue in what you have learned and a firmly believe. Again, Paul knew very well, intimately, what Timothy had been raised in, how Timothy had been raised, and what belief systems he had been raised up in. He knew exactly where he was. And he says, knowing from whom you have learned it, his family. Where did he learn to be a man of God? His mom and grandma. And from how childhood you have been acquainted with what? With the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What do we do? We stand up for the truth that is the word of God. We take the word of God and we put the word of God in preeminence in everything in our life. We mold our lives by this. We adorn our lives with this. We allow our lives to be changed and transformed by this. We go into it every day saying, God, I know I'm not this reflection, but make me this reflection reflection today. Help me to be changed. Help me to be transformed. Help me to be different, God. I'm going to live by the truth of the Word of God. I'm going to stand on the truth that is in this Word of God. I'm going to be molded and changed and transformed by the truth that is the Word of God. Because we have been given this privilege and we're going to stand on this. And the world around us, the my world in which I live, it is going to be based on the Word of Truth. And I'm going to live according to this. And I'm going to preach according to this. And I'm going to let my life be changed as God calls me to be changed by this Amen. and church that's what it is to have a biblical world view yes, it Amen. worship team would you come back up please church we are called to hold firmly to this truth we are called to hold firmly to this, this, this truth that is Jesus this is what he's described in here he's, he's talked it is him he is the truth and we stand firm, we hold firm to it. Yes, the more you do this, the more difficulties you will experience. I mean, I hear people say it all the time. Well, I wasn't come under attack until I started to you know, do what the Bible said. Now you're in the battle. Get fighting. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Get out of the corner and stop just wallowing in your attack and start fighting back. Because in here, he's given us weapons. And they're weapons of warfare that are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. He's given us the sword of victory. He has called us more than conquerors. There is nothing that's impossible for him. Therefore, there's nothing that's impossible for me. But I've got to stay in Christ. In church, Paul knows what it's like to stand and to have that kind of attack coming. But here's the problem. Those who come against us with the attack are the same people that we are called to reach out to with the love of God. Well, there's a difficult one. I mean, look, I tell you that because nobody told you it was going to be easy that's why it's called things like a fight battle standing firm you know these are actions that you and i have to do we but praise god we don't walk in this life alone That's why you need to be inundated. You need to be surrounded by people in the body of Christ. That's why God's given us the church, so that iron would sharpen iron, so that when we get off track or we get off base, that we would be willing to go to our brother, to go to our sister and say, hey, you know what? That's not the way in which you should be going. That's not the way in which you should be talking. You should be really changing and transforming that, and I love you and I care about you, so I want to help you with that. We should be reaching out and helping each other in those ways to walk this life because we don't walk this life. Alone. There's no such thing as a, as a Lone Ranger Christian. Jesus has given us the church for reasons like that. And therefore, we need to bind ourselves together under the banner of this word and held together by the arms of the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, church, as a, as a nation, we, we have not done that. We are so splintered. Like, and, and This is not a political statement. This is just a statement that's true. A few years back, they came up with a statistic, a study that showed that, that in, in the United States of America, 85% of our country confessed themselves to be Christians. 85%. Now, maybe in these past years, that has changed a little bit, but still... How does a nation that professes themselves to be 85% Christians elect a president that believes that you should be allowed to have an abortion up to the point of birth? How do we elect a president that is willing to give his approval to partial birth abortion? Delivering a baby, feet first, up to its head, and I think you know the rest. How does a Christian nation elect somebody that supports that? I don't care whether they're Democrat, Republican, Independent. I don't care whether it's a man. I don't care if it's a woman. I don't care who it is. They are not going to have my vote. How do we elect somebody like that as a Christian nation? And and the way we do that is by walking away from biblical world views. And as Christians, we accept other views. And I understand the reasons. But God, no, thank God. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that when we walk this walk, when we do this, he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Look, do you, do you, not your, not your person next to you, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as God? Look, do you know... Do you know Jesus outside of these walls? Do you know the truth that is Jesus? So It's all about Jesus, church. It's all about Jesus. So do you know Him? Do do you know Jesus personally, intimately? Do you embrace Jesus? Do you stand with Jesus? Or... Are you allowing Jesus to transform your worldview? Are you allowing Jesus to transform you by transforming your worldview? Or or are you allowing your worldview to transform Jesus? That's a, a question for each of us to contend with. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you now and thank you, God, for the the grace that you've given us, Lord, that we could sit in a place like this and receive a message like that without lightning bolts flying everywhere. God, move in us today. Help us today, Lord. Oh God, for every life that's here that, that needs to be changed and transformed by your glory, I pray, God, you would move into their life right now, right where they are, And for some of you, maybe today, you're still bound in your sin. You're still chained with the chains of a sin and a bondage that you've never experienced what it is to be forgiven of. That you're walking in condemnation over the lives that you've hurt, the people that you've defiled, the things that you've done. You're condemned in that place thinking, how could a good God ever want somebody so bad? And I want you to know that Jesus is reaching out his hand to you even now. He's reaching his hand out to you and saying, come to me. I'm the transformer. I'm the forgiver. I'm the one with grace. And I have it for you today. Will you come to me? Will you reach your hand out and receive me today? Come on, if that's you today, this is with everybody's head, but this is personal. I want to pray for you. If that's you today and you need to make that stand, will you just raise your hand up right where you are so I can see? Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your grace. Come on, with your hand up, just, just, Lord God, connect me with your grace right now. Lord, pour that grace out into my heart, into my soul. Pour that grace out, oh God, that I need. Lord, I am a sinner in need of grace, and I come to you for the forgiveness of my sins. I call out to you in need today, Lord. I am desperate for you and more of you, God. Uh, Just receive that today. Just receive Him today. How about some of you that may have gotten tied up with some crazy different ways of thinking and, you know, God's just convicting you today that you would say, Pastor Mark, will you pray for me? How many of you would say, you know, will you please pray for me? Come on, just lift up your hands and say, I need that today. I need that prayer. Ah, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, you know the hearts of every single one who's raised their hand, who's lifted their heart before you. And I pray, God, for restoration. I pray that you would reconcile and cause your grace to move in and have your way in each and every life, in each and every response. Help us today, Lord. God, help us. Holy Spirit, pour out. Pour out Your life. Pour out Your power. Pour out Your presence into each one. Let there be a baptism of fire, Lord God, that would come to seal and overwhelm each one. God, that we would begin to walk in power. That we would begin to walk in the dunamis power that is of You. A power like no other in this world. God, You can help me to do what I could not do before. You can help me to trust what I could not trust before. You can help me to believe what I could not believe before. God, I need You. Come on, just ask the Holy Spirit today. Ask Him here in this place. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, O oh God. Pour Your Spirit out for me, in me, that I might see You work through me. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Come on, we're going to make a vow before him that we will stand, that we will make a stand for him and that we will not allow ourselves to be swayed. God, that you're going to convict us. We've asked for the presence of the Holy Spirit. He comes to convict us in regards to sin and in regards to righteousness. So today, Lord, have your way. Bring that conviction to our heart as I make a commitment today to stand, to stand for you today. come on let's sing it out That is a declaration that we as a people make, that we as an individual we make. Lord God, I shall stand. I stand with you. And I, I hope that you'll make plans to be back. We're going to talk about this for the next coming weeks <laughs> as a warning for those who didn't. Encouragement for those who did I pray you'll just come here what the Holy Spirit is wanting to say to the church in this hour I love you church, I pray God bless you, that God go with you and that when you leave this place today you realize that church is not over, church is not what happens between these walls church is really what happens outside of these walls, so go be the church, go be the life, go be the light go be the shining example that God wants you to be go stand, amen Amen. God bless y'all. Have a beautiful day. Let's sing this as we go.